Welcome back to another edition of the Changemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Deke Copenhaver. My guest today is Zoe Ether, all the way from Brisbane, Australia. Zoe is a bit of an unconventional engineer, a millennial and a Churchill fellow with a specialty and passion for smart communities and smart regions. She knows that to create the communities of the future, we must use smart ways of thinking and technology intentionally as enablers to make the places we live more accessible, livable, and sustainable for all. Her mission is to make the smart community conversation accessible to everyone so that we can all understand what is possible in this space today in order to build a better future for us tomorrow. She does this through hosting the Smart Community Podcast, keynote speaking, conversation facilitation, and providing smart community consulting for all levels of government, industry, and regulatory authorities. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Zoe Ether. Welcome to the Changemaker Podcast, hosted by Deke Copenhaver. Deke is the author of The Changemaker, a Forbes publishing book that has reached number one on Amazon on multiple occasions and in multiple categories like management skills and total quality management. During this podcast, Deke interviews exceptional change-making leaders. Deke currently operates Copenhaver Consulting, where he helps local governments and other public organizations maximize their potential. He's also a sought-after public speaker. We hope that the changemaker has an impact on you today and that you find takeaways that make you a better leader in your life. Now, here's Deke. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you, Deke. I'm so excited to be here. I know. It's just... um. So just for our listening audience, one of the coolest things to me, we met through our mutual friend, Carrie Grace, who's yes. been a guest on the show. And you, you read my book and you came, actually, you had a couple of speaking gigs in, in the States in January of 2020. So you got to come to Augusta and we got to spend a day together, which was an awesome day. It really was. Um, yeah, I was speaking at the Transportation Summit in North Carolina, and I think I had a gig in New York as well. And I thought, actually, I really wanted to extend the trip, which, you know, foresight uh, or hindsight, rather, I was uh, very lucky to be able to do so because it was in January of 2020, right? And we all know what happened not that long after that. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, Kerry said, Kerry introduced us on LinkedIn and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. And so I jumped on a plane and spent the day um, in Augusta, which was amazing. I was, yeah, it was a really special day. I think like we, we, wa we walked around um, the town, we, and then we went, um, you took me on one of the, your favorite kind of walks uh, in the, in the trails yeah. there, and it was just a beautiful day. Well, for our listeners, tell them you are an amazing young lady and very accomplished in your field. You recently were um, named the Young Professional Engineer of the Year for Queensland. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. <clears throat> sure. Um, to do that, I'll go back a little bit. So I'm a civil and environmental engineer. <clears throat> Excuse me. I grew up in regional Australia, uh, so Roma. So we have about seven and a half thousand people in our little town. Um, I always loved math and science and actually public speaking and creative things as well, like, you know, drama and I was in the school play and the musicals and that type of thing. Uh, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but 
I knew that I wanted to do something that was going to impact people and really I wanted to work overseas, which when I first thought about this, particularly growing up in a small town, I didn't really think it was that possible, but it was something that I really wanted to do. Um, and if I was able to do it, then it would have been you know, a dream. So I decided to do engineering and then I came to Brisbane and um, I did civil and environmental engineering. And I had a very traditional job in the government uh, working in road construction. So I came out of my degree working in road construction. And that might not seem too glamorous, but I learned a lot about project management and people and stakeholder engagement and community engagement and all these type of things. Because when you're building a road, which is actually just a, you know, a connection, right? It's just connecting people. You have to touch so many different areas. Um, and so I learned a lot and I really enjoyed my time. Obviously it comes with challenges being a young woman on a construction site, uh, being an engineer as well. Um, but moving through that, then I really want to make a difference, I guess. And I did things, really small things when I was in construction to to improve the way we were doing things. So, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but systems and processes making things more effective, more efficient, just because I was like, this is a waste of time if we're, you know, using paper-based <laughs> processes, right? And I was just like, oh, let's change this. And, you know, change management was, was very difficult when you've got um, people there that had been doing this for 30 years, right? And who was I to tell them? But uh, little did I know that's kind of what I do now, but just in a, a more, um, I guess, a technology sense and, and uh, maybe a wider sense. But when I left construction, um, I, I came to Toowoomba where I live now. I, I live between Toowoomba and Brisbane and I uh, worked on a really big project there. And that was really great, but I really, really, really wanted to work overseas. And I thought, oh, well, I can't do that with the government. Um, but as soon as that thought entered my head, an email landed in my inbox and it was from our director general, so the biggest boss in um, our department. And he'd just been to South Korea. He'd gone to a road congress in South Korea and was really excited about the technology uh, that, was, that he saw uh, in, in Korea. And he wanted to send one of his engineers over there on an engineering exchange. So I applied for that and I was successful. And so I lived and worked in South Korea for three months uh, at the end of 2016. And that's when I learned about the smart city concept. And I mean, to be honest, I didn't really know a lot about South Korea, but I just said, yep, wherever, wherever you want to send me, I will be there. <laughs> uh, and I loved it. It was amazing. Um, beautiful people, beautiful food um, and a lot of technology and a lot of advancement. Um, but now starting to think more about people um, and, and what it's not just about, you know, embedding technology for the sake of it, but what does it do for people's lives and how can we improve those? And so, yeah, in South Korea, and obviously they're not doing everything perfect, but you can learn a lot from the, their approach um, to innovation and research and development because the amount of PhDs I met, like every second person had a PhD, which is not the be all and end all, but they were investing in research um, and investing in development of technology and those type of things. So when I came back to Australia, I was like, what are we doing in this space? Let's, 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 let's do something. Um, so I talked to anyone and anyone around everyone about smart cities. And I was like, who's doing stuff? Let's find out. And um, so that was when I decided that there's only so many coffees I could have in one day um, meeting people and you know I'm only in one place and I was like I need a better way to do this 
So that's when I started the podcast. Um, fortunately, I had a very good friend who was a podcast producer, who is still my producer now, and she had her own podcast. And she gave me the idea. She's like, well, why don't you start a podcast? I can help you. And I was like, yes, let's do that. So between the two of us, we we had this idea and that's when we started the Smart City podcast. And um, before, and, and that's what it was called before, and we rebranded in 2018. Um, and of course, like you can only live on passion for so long, right? You can't eat passion. Uh, so you need to make some money, right? <laughs> so I started a consultancy at the same time. So I left my good, secure government job to start the podcast. Um, that didn't pay me any money and then so I was like okay I started my consultancy as well so now what we do is um offer yeah smart community community consulting uh, as you mentioned um fortunately I have a, a foundational contract with a um a large engineering firm over here as well uh and I do that work through um Arup uh, and I also do that work through my own um, consultancy, My Smart Community. Um, so I've been working with a few different councils at the moment, which is um, I love. It's my favourite type of work to work with government um, and councils, particularly because they are really impacting the community at a at a you know deep level. Which obviously you know, Deke, and it's something we talked about. Like you're at the coal phase. Um, so I'm running Smart uh, Community Framework at the moment for uh, council down in New South Wales uh, and you know, lots of stakeholder engagement um, with the people that are working there um, and just really building in what they want it to be for them because this this smart city thing, smart community thing, there are standards, there are processes um, that we want to follow, but actually it needs to be really unique to the community and solving real problems for the community. Uh, and so uh, do the consulting as well as um, building up keynote speaking again now that we can have face-to-face -face again face-to-face -face events again which is um exciting times uh and just facilitation of conversation because i just i love hosting i love moderating panels because i really want to get the most out of people because i think we need more people talking about this stuff and bringing their perspectives in because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach well you and i discussed on your visit that <clears throat> i ran the central savannah river land trust here locally in augusta georgia for four years and handled the green space program for the city, which was a land purchasing program, buying up green space and putting conservation easements on it that permanently protected the land. So I ate, slept, slept and drank smart growth issues for four years prior to becoming mayor. But for our listeners, why is it important for cities and communities to focus on becoming smart cities and smart communities? It's a great question. And there's when I writing strategies, people you, you want to have a risk section, right? In your strategy, of course, makes sense. Now, there's risks to you know, uh, deploying new technologies, there's risks to gathering data, there's risks to, uh, I guess, engaging with the community, um, there's reputational risks, there's so there's, there's lots of risks in everything we do. Every project has risk, no matter uh, if it's smart or not. But there's also a huge risk if we don't do this because exactly. we're already we're already deploying technology uh, in our own lives. We're all deploying our own technology, um, which affects the community. Um, you know, everything we do will affect the other the people around us. But also, we are already collecting data, and we are already engaging with the community. So we there's a risk if we don't do this that we'll get left behind and it will become less secure. 
and we'll we won't be governing our data properly and we won't be able to really um i guess decide where our investments should be and our investments should lie if we haven't taken this approach because we won't be able to know what the pain points are and how we can actually solve those and if we're not all thinking in a way that is is different and it's not just the way we've always done it because you know that might have worked back then i think that's one of the biggest things to to think when when i talk about smart cities people are like oh god that's all new stuff and, and and you're telling me that i'm doing the wrong thing now but that's not the case at all we made the best decisions that we did with the information available the technology available the data available the people available but now we're building more and more. We know how rapidly technology is changing. We know how rapidly people's skill sets can change as well as we get new people into the workforce, um, you know, coming, coming up the ranks or even coming in at the higher level because they have the skills that we really, really need, like data, um, data science, data analytics, um, you know, technology and, you know, IT and, and, and not just um, traditional IT, which is very important, but then building on that of what, what is possible, um, you know, building apps, developers, developing things, all, all those type of things as well. So if we, we, it's not just about thinking, it's, I guess, like when, when we talk about smart communities and, and the word smart, people have a bit of an issue with that, which is totally fine. I just haven't come up with something better. But it's not just about the technology. What we need to realise is technology is embedding and infiltrating all of our lives and we need a better way to think about it a better way to manage it for our community so we can actually solve real problems for them. Because if we leave it to the big tech companies, we know what happens. We can see it. Yeah. It's happening right now. Um, so government in particular and the community groups around us need to get involved into this space so then we can make the best decisions to move forward. You know, it's it's interesting that you you touch on something that uh, when you approach communities, something but you're telling us we're doing it wrong. And I've, I've found run into that so often. I've done some consulting work around. So here in the States, there was a huge amount of money set aside in the stimulus package for direct funding to local governments. And there were some governments that were receptive to our team coming in and helping them plan for the expenditure of these funds. But a lot of what we got is, well, we know exactly what we're doing. And it's like, like here in Augusta, they're getting, our local government's getting $84 million in direct funding. And I've shared with, you know, to think about getting $84 million unbudgeted and trying to figure out how to spend it strategically when you've got all the different, you know, representatives of different districts saying, I want something for my district. But but you do run into that, we know what we're doing, or but this is the way we've always done it, or you're saying that we're doing it wrong. And that's, to me, part of, you know, we as individuals and as communities, as businesses, it's you, things are going to change and you have to pivot and you have to be willing to evolve. Mm. And it's an interesting one. One of the other things I've been thinking a lot about uh, recently and, and um, in some of the work that I've been doing has come up is... This stuff is actually about improving the well-being of not just the community, which is really important, but also the people working in government because we know there's not enough resources. We know there's not enough time to do everything. We know that, you know, to we want to improve our skill sets because we're 
um, when we first came, when we first like started in the in the council, things are different, or or, or government, or even any job that we. But there's no time to upskill. There's no time to look at new systems. There's no time for this, that, or the other. And that's a real that's a stress on on the people, the public servants, and and I think that if we can use technology to improve processes, like it sounds pretty you know boring and mundane, but that's one of my favorite things to do is improve boring government processes. Um, then we can actually improve the well-being of people because you're buying back their time, so then they can think more creatively and have real purpose. And I think we haven't quite made that connection fully in this space, but that's really what we want to focus on as well. It's not just about, particularly in, in government, making things, you know, um, more profitable, you know, obviously not profitable, but, um, you know, making more money and, um, you know, we're not, a, we're not a private enterprise, but we also need to be uh, sustainably, um, financially sustainable, right? But if we can shift that money around so it's not being wasted on not I don't want to say wasted because it, we made the best decisions with the information we had at the time but we could find efficiencies and across a government we know that even just a one to two but you know if we can get a five percent efficiency across such a broad area we know how much money that can save and time and resources right so if we can then reallocate those things to things that people really love within you know the the people working there or within the community so events services better quality um products those type of things then we can really improve people's well-being it's not a you know this slog of oh i have to go in and i have to type this data in and it drives me bonkers but i can't think of another way to do this or i can't i can't think beyond actually i need to just get this in because somebody needs it right at this moment we're thinking about the now and it's not because people can't think about the future but they're just so their bandwidth is all consumed by these processes and things that we have but we know there are other ways to do things and sometimes it's not technology sometimes it's actually just oh there's two people doing the same thing what if we combine that you know duplicate process or actually i have this information that someone else needs i just need a communication channel open um and i need to be able to make a decision about that if i've got the data available so there's all these type of things that we really need to think about the people working within our organizations as well because we can help them through technology not by replacing their job but actually lifting them up to be able to think more creatively because we can take away some of those really um i guess monotonous tasks um and and, and move forward two crows just landed on my windowsill and they've decided to join the conversation as well oh no i hope that's not a bad omen I hope not. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to touch on something that I mentioned a minute ago. So, so I was very much in favor for direct funding from the federal government to local governments because I thought here's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do something completely transformational. Mm. But the way I've seen it rolled out, and it goes to what you've touched on about the processes – you know, local governments don't have in place processes to deal with $100 million being infused into them. So it's really, as you, usually governments are cash strapped, but here in the States, there are so many local governments that really, you know, if they plan strategically, they can improve the lives of their citizens for generations to come. Mm. Mm. But, but as <clears throat> you and I discussed when you were here, Politics have a strange way of working themselves into everything. 
not just government, but it is rather than, you know, it's a disposition of resources. That's what the local government should do. And I, I believe, and it gets into the smart city conversation. Let's look at where the most resources need to be deployed and as best we can take out of it. Well, I want a certain piece of the pie for my own district to benefit the people that I represent. But I've often said that, you know, I did a TEDx talk a number of years ago and said cities or communities should be viewed as organisms. And it's about connectivity. But if there's one part of the organism that's not healthy, the whole organism suffers. Mm. Yeah, 100%. It's a system of systems, right? And we need to think about, and that's a very boring engineering term, (laughs) but you said it much better. (laughs) Uh, And communities are systems, right? And we we know instinctively that if we mess up one part that something else happens over here and some things we can't actually uh there's not a one to one connection and i think mm-hmm. that's a really um we need to consider that more and more particularly when we increase the amount of technology we increase the amount of data because we there are unintended consequences and that's the other thing with this concept it's we know that there's going, we know that if we, well, one, if we, even if we do it 100% right, which who knows what that is, we need to think about the unintended consequences, which means that we need to measure and monitor the results. So it's actually thinking about the benefits, but then thinking about what, what happens to the people with the most at stake if we don't get this right. And that's where we really need to have a lot of our focus moving forward because it's not good enough anymore to go, oh, well, we didn't see that coming. Oh, well, those people now yeah. don't have something or whatever the case is. And, and not to say that we ever really did that, but we know of examples um, that that's happened. So we need to really think about that moving forward and not be scared to talk about those things um, because I think you may have seen, you know, if people weren't on board or, uh, you know, people asking lots of questions is really important, but before it might have seemed like, oh, well, that person's not on board or they're a troublemaker or they're trying to, you know, poke holes in this, but we need to poke holes in this so then when we get to the other side, we've got the best possible solution for the people um, and, you know, privacy, security, those things we've already touched on a little bit, but we need to embed those things in from the very beginning, particularly privacy, you know, very different, um, I guess, to design that in from the very beginning. And it's not stopping progress. It's actually making sure that the progress we take, we don't have to um, the term, you know, try and put the toothpaste back in the tube if we've squeezed too much out, right? Um, and and thinking about, well, we don't want to be able, we don't want to roll back. So what do we put in place now to make sure that we, you know, we're protecting people's personal data? And I often think about a needs to know basis as well. What actually do we need to know about people at a personal level to make decisions better decisions and sometimes the case is we actually don't need to know a lot of personal information we need to know an aggregate of information of where people are going how long they're spending there um, why they're doing the things that they want to be doing uh, what they're doing what are their pain points those type of things um, but uh, at, a, like at a macro level we actually probably just want to know um, you know where are people going and I don't need to know that you know Zoe or Deke is going from this place to this place. I need to know how many people or um, at this time this is what's happening and, and why, and then start thinking about the insights of why that's happening and those type of things. Because we want to run a city more effective, effectively and efficiently. 
And I often think about it in terms of it's not what what can the it's not what can the city know about me. It's what information can a city offer up so then I, as a citizen, can make better informed decisions and get a better level of service. So it's the complete opposite. It's what what information is the city offering up for me, not what information do I have to give over to the city to be part of this city. And I think that distinction is really important as we move forward in this space. And if we keep that question in front of mind, then we can make better decisions about the things we want to implement. Well, I want to talk a little a bit about something that you and I've discussed in the past. And I've always said that, you know, the leadership does not know an age. It does not know gender. But there are certain inherent challenges that you faced as maybe a, a young female leader in your field. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's there's lots in that where you when you first come into like when I first came into this space um people were excited because there was someone different there was someone new uh but I guess over time you build cred you you build um I guess your audience but you and and your network and that type of thing too and you start to see I guess a few like differences and yeah I'm I'm I, I'm not a, a 50 year old man. Um, and so talking about technology, you're sure? I'm you're sure not, you're not hiding something from me. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. <laughs> um, but when I walk into a room, people, yeah, it is, it is different. I think, um, particularly working in the consulting space and like, you know, I work with, uh, and particularly when I was traveling around overseas, you know, meeting CEOs and, um, you know, presidents of companies and that type of thing. And fortunately, I got used to that when I was in Korea because I was a, a guest and I was, yeah, I was giving presentations um, on behalf of the government when I was 26 years old and, you know, meeting v, you know, VPs and, and all, all those type of things. So I kind of got used to it. Um, but there is definitely something inherent about uh, being, being a leader that doesn't necessarily, I, and I like, I guess like in the last kind of, three years, five years, maybe things have shifted and changed. So even what a leader looks like has changed significantly and I'm loving it. And I think I often don't think about it as much anymore until something kind of happens and I go, Oh, I wonder if that was because I'm, I'm a young woman. Um, or is it just, Oh, maybe I need to do something a bit differently. And sometimes it's a combination of the two things. Um, so it's really, particularly speaking, it's not about me. It's about the audience. So I know that I need to deliver a message to the audience so they can take something away and do something different in their life. It's not I need to give my message to them so then they get it because I want them to get it. That's not the way this needs to this needs to operate. And I often think the same thing with leadership. You're there not because you should be there and you're, you know, giving the orders or whatever, but you really want to lift other people up to be able to do so. But it takes a lot of personal growth because particularly when you're coming new into a space, there's lots of insecurities that you didn't even know that you had, right? And so when you get some, you're like, oh, I want feedback, I want feedback. Well, then sometimes you get the feedback and it really slaps you in the face because it's all about like, it's actually about you and, and, and the way you're presenting or the way you're delivering. And, and I think moving through that, I don't know if there's an easy way. You've just got to kind of hit the floor for a bit and then come back up again. Um, but saying things with conviction and confidence is important. And that's a lot of the advice that people give. 
But actually being really deliberate with what you're saying is even more important because if you're saying stuff with confidence but then you can't back it up, then, you know, if no one questions past the surface, then that might be fine. But I've always tried to be really deliberate and intentional with what I've been delivering and saying, which sometimes stops you from, I guess, getting too involved in a conversation until you know enough about it. Um, and I think there's a there's a there's a dance there as well where you you don't want to be seen to be just like you know spooking your own stuff and whatever else. But there's no there's no easy answer. But it's just keep going and. Find those other people that you, and, and not just people that look like you, but people that have different views and opinions, but realize you don't have to take on everyone's views and opinions too, that we're all like trying to work this out. No one has it right. No, no one has it right for you. Everyone has it right for, they might have it right for themselves. Um, so I think like I, I, particularly in the beginning, I tried to get lots of advice lots of different opinions and some was good and some was probably not so good but I really wanted to I guess take all of it on because I thought people knew better than I did but at the end of the day it's you've got to move through it with your own at your own pace and really getting that trusted network around you and if it feels if it doesn't feel quite right you've got to shift a different way and find those other people that are really going to not just build you up because they're really important. Your fans are really important, but you want people to give you honest, like critical exactly. feedback as well. But it is hard to find the people that it's like why they the 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 feedback that you want. You need to then take it and make it and what I call Zoe-fied, right? So it's for me and like this is how <laughs> I work. Um, so I probably just ranted on there quite a bit, but. It's it's not a it's not an easy thing, but also I'm loving that we're seeing more and more young voices and different voices behind the mics um, and behind on the stages, and we're going to see more and more of that. And we really want to empower people to step up and and bring their experiences and their voices in because we can't we can't move forward in any other way. No, well, I've I've often said that that I think so. You know. My father flew B seventeen bombers in um, in World War II. I'm the youngest of five kids, but that generation ha- had to become the greatest generation because of what they were dealing with. And I've made the observation that I think, you know, the millennial generation and the generations that come after having dealing with adversity ends up building great leaders. And so I have the feeling that. We're going to see a lot of great leaders emerge from this generation, and I'm I'm personally excited about that because I think part of good leadership is establishing common ground. And to me, COVID and the pandemic, we're all bound in it by our common humanity. We've all had to deal with it in some way, so it gives a shared experience that we as a world have never really had. But I do believe, and it's funny, and I, I talk with people about it, it's just so easy to label any generation, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, millennials are always on their phones, blah, 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 blah. They're snowflakes. They're lazy. I'm like, you can't, you know, not every generation. That's an easy thing to do. But nobody in any generation are all alike. And I think that's a good and healthy thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing 
on the opposite, um, I guess, side is is that people can learn new skills, um, you know, like because uh, it's kind of like, oh, the tech generation and, you know, um, digital natives or whatever, uh, which is which is great. And, like, we'll, younger people and people younger than me as well have different skill sets growing up than, um, say, my parents did. But it's not to say that they can't learn and that this lifelong learning, I think, is really, really important. But I think when this, when we start looking for the differences, like you were saying, then that's when we get the division. But then when you realize that, oh, like we're we're actually trying to try achieve the same thing, and we're going to come at it different ways. And if we really bring that together, then we can make real change. And I, and and because like I love working with a range of different people and really listening to what is important to them. And then thinking about them bringing that experience to to the table, I guess, and learning from different leaders. And like you said, like younger people can teach the skills that they have, but you can actually learn so much from older people as well because, like you said, they've had different experiences. Like, um, I mean, even I was talking to some grade 12s uh, a couple of days ago and, like, I said something like I didn't have the internet until I was 11, right? And so we had to build skills and, and, and you know, Deke, like that you would have a different experience again. And I built certain skills like, um, you know, we were very creative of how we like made sure our friends knew that they were going to come over on the weekends or, or whatever the case is. And you just spent all day together because you couldn't contact each other. So you just like hung out all day or whatever. Um, or, you know, even riding around or bikes or and me growing up in a regional area, that's a different context. I learned different skills. So it's not thinking about like, oh, I didn't get this or you don't have that. It's what do you, what do you bring to the table and what can we learn and, and, and teach each other? Well, it's, it's interesting. I had a guy from uh, Los Angeles reach out to me this week about my podcast. And he said, you know, you're creating great content, but how are you really distributing it? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've got great producers. I've got you know, I, I love the quality of it, but it got me thinking. And he said, because he, he said, well, you know, what Instagram did was they saw that um, TikTok was doing 60 second clips. And they said, we'll just do 30 second. He said, but it's hard to educate people through 30 second clips. But I said, if, but I'm like, if, and he said, but knowledge is extremely valuable and you have the knowledge that the younger generation needs. And I said, well, I think part of my calling at this point is to mentor that younger generation. I said, but if you can, if that's the way that we get the information out there, because that's the way that generation is consuming their information, then let's do, you know, what's going to be effective for getting information and getting content out to that generation. And so Mm -hmm. rather than looking at it and saying, oh, they've got short attention spans, you know, uh, throw up your hands. I'm like, so how do we get to where they are. And I I agree with you. I love cross-generational learning and leadership. And I learn so much from you personally and from your generation. It's just, it's cool. And it, we can all inspire each other. Mm. That's such an important point. And it's like, not just, um, you know, that example you gave was a brilliant one, but we can also use that with our community. It's the channels of communication. And not only do you need to make sure that your the, the channel is right so it's a 30 second clip or whatever it is or um maybe in some towns it's it is a it's a it's a 
it's a paper-based flyer or whatever the case is, plus a you know a QR code, plus a website or plus a whatever else it happens to be. So we need to, if we're talking about smart communities and 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 we need to think about the channels that we want to deliver that or that we need to deliver that information so then the, the person on the other end can consume it. So it's not just the channel is the first thing, but then the language that we use. Language is so important. So you're not going to go and, and talk, you know, with all these term, terminologies that no one's going to know and whatever to sound really smart or whatever because no one's going to get it. They don't understand. They're going to switch off completely and just go, oh, well, that was – they won't even think about it again because it didn't enter their, um, their thoughts. And so – one of the reasons I started the podcast was to make this conversation really accessible. So my mum could listen to the podcast and get something out of it, but the CEO of a tech company could also listen listen and get something out of it because we won't all get the same things out of it, but the, the channel is there and the information is there and you take what you need and then you create your own um, recipe. And I think that channel and the language is so key. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that, Sometimes we get wrong. All the information's there. We've got all the, you know, we've ticked all the boxes. We've got the engineering outputs. We've got the planning outputs. We've got all these things. We've done the engagement, you know, in a, in a tick box, but we haven't got the language right and we haven't got the channel right. So it's not landing with the community. And so that's when we really need to step back and go, well, how do they consume the information and how do we need to then present it to them? Because again, it's not about me giving them information. It's about them being able to take in what they need from that and and really take like to 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 embed it into their lives like that's the reason we're doing this so they can take something and do something with it well at the, at the end of the day i think good leadership is really about helping people which is what's in your dna and in your spirit so i want to as we get towards the end i want to thank you for what you do but i also want to qu- ask a question that i like to ask all my guests now this has sort of become my hook because somebody it. gave me the advice to do this. He's a really good podcaster. Um, so what puts a smile on your face on a daily basis and fills your heart with joy? That's such a good question. <laughs> and something I've been thinking about a lot, um, particularly during the pandemic, what do I actually do? that I love because I love, I love my work. Um, I love doing the things I do, but what I really love to do is have deep, meaningful, real conversations with people. And when I can do that in a way and all around the world, because we've got the technology to be able to do that, it's not surface level. It's not just asking the questions and getting the answers. When we can actually dig deep, you can, really rewire your brain to go to step out of the the I don't even know what it's called it it happened a lot during COVID because we're all in digital land where we we show up as a digital person and whatever else and it's a little bit not real but then when I realized how well no this is life this is actually real life and you can start to have deeper meaningful conversations it's really powerful and you can, yeah, I guess rewire your brain to take what we take what we've talked about and then embed it into our lives to be able to then shift and change and do things differently. And it just it ignites me again because this stuff is is 
sometimes long, sometimes monotonous, sometimes it's hard because you're trying to push something that doesn't exist and then you're trying to convince people that it's a good thing to do, that that they should pay you to do it and that you want to make a difference in people's lives, right? So then when you have these really deep, meaningful conversations, it really ignites me again and, and makes me smile. So thank you for inviting me to have one of these conversations with you today, Dick. Absolutely. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, where can people find you? Oh, I'm on all the things. Um, mainly LinkedIn, but I have a Twitter as well. Uh, so we have my smart community, which uh, we have a page on, on LinkedIn and Twitter. I think our handle is smartcomhq. Smartcom Zoe on Twitter is also there, but uh, Zoe Ether um, is my name and you can find me on LinkedIn. But our address, our email, no, what's the other thing? The website is mysmart.community. <laughs> you think all the tech, I should know the stuff, but <laughs> come find me. We'll put my link um, email in the show notes as well. Happy to take any, com- any calls, any conversations. Uh, I love to have them. So please reach out. Well, Zoe, thank you for taking the time. I know it's early morning over there, but always a pleasure to see you. I can't wait until we can get back together in person because that was a wonderful day. Me too, me too. And uh, hopefully it won't be too far in the near future. Absolutely. All righty, guys, dropping the mic and we are out.